Good morning, Iron City. I hate to break up all the conversation, but if everyone can start making their way in, I know it's going to be kind of a late start for a lot of folks, so people are going to be trickling in, and that's okay. We're just so thankful that you are here with us today. Today is our family summit. As many of you know, it's going to be a great, great day. If you're visiting with us today and you're here for session one, thank you. We are so thankful that you are here. We are a church at Iron City that takes discipling and caring for families very, very seriously. And you being here obviously shows that family is important in your life. And so if you would, look at the chair in front of you. And there's a connection card uh, in that chair. And if you would, just fill that out. Uh, and it, we have boxes, giving boxes at each of the doors. If you could just drop that in, or you can even leave it face down in your chair. Here's our Iron City promise. We're not going to show up at your house and do anything weird like that. We're not going to sell your information to uh, AT&T or car warranty repairs. All right? We just want to be able to pray for you, maybe drop some information about our church uh, in the mail, and just thank you so much for coming. As always, what I want to do is just start our time together in the Word. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, called the Shema. We hear it in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on your hands, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's what this morning is about. This morning is about training up the next generation so that they can love the Lord their God with all of their heart, with all of their mind, and all of their strength. It's about your marriage, being able to, to portray the mystery of the gospel the way that Paul does in a more effective and helpful way so that your kids are able to see Christ and his church in their mom and in their dad. To help us do that, we have a special guest speaker this morning that I'm really excited about. We have Josh Allen, not the Bills quarterback, but the, uh, the gifted, long-traveling speaker who is here with us today. Josh is the pastor of Parkway Hills Baptist Church in Plano, Texas. He is married to Jesse. He is the daddy to Josie, Joy, and Joel. And one of the things that you've probably heard John talk about and heard me talk about a lot is milestones. We are uh, working to be able to partner with moms and dads to be the primary disciple makers of their children. And one of the ways that we're doing that is by uh, installing the Legacy Milestone Strategy here in our church so that we can train you through various seminars and partnerships so that you know how to handle all the big markers, mile markers in your child's life. And uh, Josh is affiliated with Legacy Milestones and is part of their organization and is just kind of a leading, a leading voice as a part of this movement to, for parents to be the primary disciple makers of their kids. And so Josh, we're so thankful to have you, man. I'm, we appreciate you coming in and driving out to Ken and Eva's. I know you thought you're never going to get there. But we're, we're glad that you're here. Thank you, Eva, for, for hosting. And also, so part of what we're going to do today is kind of a conference environment. If you've been to some of our summits in the past, today's going to be kind of like that, but a little bit different. And the reason is, is we can't fit everybody that has been coming around round tables, okay? I know there's some lot of spaces in here right now, but they're going to they're gonna fill in. We feel pretty confident. But we can't fill in, we, we can't fit everyone around the table. So we've had to shrink everything down. We want to give you all the content but in a faster-paced form. And so rather than having the family meetings, last year at the family summit, we were able to have family meetings where it's kind of a dialogue around a couch and a, a coffee table. Well, 
to be able to speed that process up, what we've done is John actually went to some of the actual living rooms of people in our church, and he filmed them. And that way he was able to edit and get it all down. But, but it's really neat. You're going to be able to see them kind of in their native environment, right? Like in the wild, you'll be able to see some of these family, uh, some of these family meetings. And so that's what we're going to do to kick off the day. We're going to share one of the family meetings, uh, and you're going to see these throughout the morning. And then as soon as the family meeting concludes, Josh is going to come up, and he's going to kick off his first session with us. So you guys tune in, view this, this meeting, and it's going to be a great day in the Lord together. Hi, my name is Robin Snyder and I am a licensed clinical social worker and I've worked for many years off and on with children in need of out-of-home placements and that means when kids can't be with their own biological families, um, the state is responsible for finding a safe, um, stable place for them to be. So our family meeting is talking about adoption and foster care. And I'm here with John and Holly Blanton. And so, John, why don't you tell us what's been going on with your family over the last few months? Yeah, so a lot of our church members may know, um, especially ones that I've reached out to. Um, but uh, what God's been doing in our life these past uh, couple of months and, and really past year is uh, really Holly, more than, more than me and, and before me, was uh, Holly was, was praying for adoption. And that is something that has been a part of our family and been a part of my story uh, for a very, very long time. Um, I was adopted. Uh, I was taken out of a bad situation and put into this home that we're in right now. Um, and I remember every detail of that. And I've shared that story before with our church family. But um, we, uh, this past year, God has just been working in my heart and working in my life and working in Holly and I's uh, life and uh, Holly was praying about it. I was praying about it. I wasn't there yet because I know I know the, the uh, kind of both sides of it uh, a little bit. I know my side of it as far as coming in, and I know that there are um, things that that happened to to me in my past that really affected uh, who I was. And so I know that that's a lot when you're bringing in uh, a child. Um, you don't really know, you know, what that looks like, and so. Um, you know, fast forward to now, uh, God has really laid on my heart. I, I, I remember talking to Holly, and I even preached on this, and uh, talking to Holly, we were on vacation. I said, you know, God's, uh, I think God's calling us to adopt. And, of course, Holly's response was, it's about time. Like, it was, um, you know, I, I've been, she said, I've been praying for you to, uh, to say that for a very long time, and um, it's, it's about time. So, um, but, yeah, so we uh, made arrangements to... Uh, start the adoption process, foster process. We didn't really know what what that looked like or what that was going to be. Uh, we just knew that God had, had was has laid on our heart to adopt or to foster, and um, so that's what we did. We um, uh, financially wanted to prepare ourselves for that. We knew that there was going to be costs going into that, and so we made decisions to um, sell some things that we didn't need and uh, uh, be better uh, about our money to save up for whoever God was going to place in our, in our life. And so we were thinking toddler or baby or, you know, something along those lines, uh, you know, to bring to our family. But we, in our minds, kept saying, we're going to wait until, uh, like, our youngest gets older. Or uh, we had all these different things that we were going to work out before we did what God has called us to do, right? And, and so, we had, so we had said yes, but we were trying to do it yet again our way. 
until um, uh, November of last year, um, there was a situation where one of our students uh, was coming to our church. Uh, something had happened, and she needed a place to stay. And that is when we uh, we invited Emily into our home, um, and uh, we became Emily's um, safety plan. Um, and that was something we didn't know about. We didn't we didn't know anything about. It. And hopefully, you can kind of touch on that as well uh, for some people here. But. Um, through that, we got to know who she was and, and hear her story and see all of this stuff. And we begin praying and, and saying, okay, God, is this who you would have us to adopt? And like, this is a 14-year-old girl. This is not the toddler or the baby that we, we said that we're going to, we said we're going to seek after whatever. And, and through all that, it's like, okay, no, like this, this is it. Like this, uh, she is going to be, um, we're gonna we're gonna fight for her, and we're going to you know hopefully give her a great life. And um, we may not be her mom and dad, but at the same time, like we love Emily so much. With my work with with kids and families, I know there's nothing easy about that. Yeah. You talked about it as though it just all happened, and I know that's probably not true. No. And many people think that um, taking a child into your home, whether you're going to be a foster parent or an adoptive parent. Um, is easy and that love is enough. If you just love them enough, that would be great. But, but what I know is it takes more than love. Love is certainly the foundation and is a necessary component. But just like in a marriage, it takes real commitment. So after, after these months, what are some of the things that you've learned that you didn't know before or it didn't occur to you before? Um, I think that just the phrase, love is not enough, was um, surprising to me. Because having three kids of our own, you know, you expect, when John told me that he was in it to adopt, I was like immediately like, yeah, let's go get this baby. We've got it. We even like pursued, not pursued maybe, but we even had an idea of maybe who that would be and um, entertained the thought of that. And so then when it didn't work out, um, you know, it was fine. We, we knew that we wanted our kids to probably be older and stuff. Um, but then when things started unfolding the way that they did, um, and realizing that it could be a permanent situation, I was filled with a lot of fear um, because I did have all these hesitations, like I've got to protect my kids, you know. Um, I, I don't know, it was just such a heart, uh, just tugging on my heart the whole time. Um, you know, not expecting to have to deal with someone maybe that had a lot of trauma, like how do I deal with that? How do I parent someone that's a 14 year old and then a two year old, does, it feels like I'm stretched so thin. Um, and so things just not going that like I had planned for them to go was um, really unexpected. Um, but it's been hard. You know, there have been really hard days and really hard weeks and yeah. hard months. Um, you know, it's not easy. But love is not enough, but like God's love has been enough. And because of the church loving us so well we have been able to love Emily well you know like I've had people meet me at school and hand me money and just say this is for whatever you need to do I've had people text me and say we're doing Christmas for her tell me what you need um and we have a friend that's I say is basically like her second mother um or third you know but um but that, she hauls her around just as much as I do. And if it wasn't for her, I would not be able to do this. And so it's literally 
God's love through the church being the hands and feet that make it possible for, that has made it possible for me to do this emotionally and physically, mentally, financially in some, in some times. Um, so knowing that our love is not enough, but God's love has definitely been more than we could ever imagine. So if we're coming off a hard week and thinking, like, I cannot do this, like, we, we're, we're doing the wrong thing. It doesn't feel right. It's not easy. Um, I, I don't feel happy, you know, and um, just really getting in my flesh about it. And Cody preached a message, I don't know, it was probably a couple months ago, um, just, and it was about um, David talking to his son um, Solomon and giving him wisdom. And it talked about your calling and that the, your calling is not always like a tap on the shoulder or the um, warm and fuzzies, you know, that like we all, like our calling is just to be, do what God has called us to, just do what God tells us to do. It's like the next right thing. And so I think about like, I believe it's James 1, 27, um, about go and visit the orphans and the widows. And I thought, it's in the Bible, like, that became my calling when I became a believer, um, and so, you know, I've made all the excuses about, you know, I've got a kid in diapers, there's no way I can do this, um, you know, I've, I've got too many kids to pay for college for, there's no way I can do this, um, we don't have a house right now, there's no way I can do this, so, um, I mean, we've made all the excuses, we have. we're doing good things, you know, we're in youth ministry, we're doing, we're doing enough good, um, but that is, you know, like God calls us for our faith to totally invade our lives. And when yeah. something is invasive, it's uncomfortable. And I had to come to that conclusion and that message that Cody preached just totally slapped me in the face yeah. about how I'm doing what the Lord called me to do, but it's not always comfortable. Um, there's a lot of kids out there uh, in our school systems, um, in our day-to-day -day life that, that we have no idea what they're going through each and every day. But... We have people like you who do. So what what are some things that, that you want to tell people that may be watching this video um, and kind of bring to their attention? Well, I think about um, addiction, drug use, alcoholism, poverty, abuse, mental health issues. There's just so many issues that are going on with families everywhere um, across our congregation. I don't know of a single family that's got it all together yeah. and everything's working the way that it should. Um, and so the, the goal is always to keep families together. I mean, it's always keep kids with their family. But when that becomes evident that it's not safe and it's not in the best interest of the child, then there has to be a different plan. And so social workers and the court system, law enforcement, works with works together to try to figure out a safety uh, plan for kids and families and um, sometimes that's adversarial sometimes that's really hard and in the course of my years as a social worker i have unfortunately had to take kids away from parents um, but i've also been able to reunite families and so as a church, as, as God's kids, we can be helpful in a lot of ways. We can help families. We can mentor families. We can um, offer assistance to help them become more stable so they can take care of their families. Um, for kids who can't stay together with their biological parents, um, there's foster care. 
and um, there's uh, over 6,000 kids statewide who are currently in some stage of foster care. So it may be they're just there for a few nights in hopes that their family can get it together and they can get back together all the way to um, in an adoptive placement. And almost 300 of those kids are in Calhoun County alone. So um, it's real important that folks understand they can be foster parents. I mean, you guys are in a lifetime commitment with Emily. Yeah. I mean, you said she's our she's our child, and we're yeah. gonna do all the things that's necessary to make that legal. I know it's already happened in your heart yeah. and in your family, but you you've got to jump through some more hoops to yes. make to make it legal, and that in and of itself is a complicated process it and is. a costly process. Yes. So, um, but for folks who want to be foster parents, they um, need to be all in. One of my favorite lines from people is, oh, I couldn't be a foster parent because I'd get too attached. And I'm like, well, if you weren't going to get attached, I would say, no, you don't need to be a foster parent. Yeah. So that is, um, that is a myth. You absolutely need to be the kind of person that would latch on to kids and love them with um, all your heart and, and put your family resources there. And is it painful when they leave? Yes, it is. And that's that's just part of being a foster parent and an adoptive parent. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, you guys have, have shared that. It's it's not an easy process, but it is worth it. And it's what the Bible commands us to do. So um, so there's lots of ways that folks can work. There's through uh, the County uh, Department of Human Resources, also Calhoun Baptist uh, Family Ministry also offers an extra layer. So folks can become foster parents through that agency and work with Christian social workers and have an extra layer of support. So all of these things are available um, and I'm available. Just find me and yeah. I will help connect you to people and, um, and how you can help. There's been several, and going back to what Holly said, there's been several people that have helped. Um, Stacy Upton has uh, been our, our personal lawyer on this, and she has uh, gone above and beyond uh, on everything, trying to get this stuff going, and really helped us out um, knowing the ins and outs of all this stuff <clears throat> and taking care of a lot of stuff that we have no idea about, right? And so, uh, Robin Snyder, uh, like you have been um, somebody who we've called <laughs> several times, um, sometimes in tears, sometimes, you know. Just like, hey, you know, are we doing the right thing? Or you know, and it's because it's difficult, and there are more ways that we can be involved in taking care of um, uh, people who are adopting or people in foster care. Um, and one of those is actually our own church. Robert, can you kind of talk about that too? Yes. So um, Alan and Jennifer Easterwood are both adoptive and foster parents. Mm -hmm. So um, they're offering a support group for folks who are interested in that. And um, one of the ways that our church is helping is there's a designated fund uh, for the money to offer to families who are going through this process. So that's another way that folks can help, not only um, being a foster parent or becoming an adoptive parent, absolutely praying for those families who are going through that, but also giving money, earmarks some uh, offering money to go to that fund so that it is available to pay for, and I can be specific, to pay for home studies, yeah. legal cost, um, uh, just resources for a teenager. Wow, that's yeah. a huge expense. So, and I know that you guys have been taking care of it, and I'm glad to, to hear that folks are wanting and wanting to help with that. And yeah. that is certainly a way that, that people can help. 
thank you so much and, and thank you for all you do uh, for our church and for uh, us personally. Um, uh, you really have helped us uh, tremendously. Well, thank y'all. Y'all are the rock stars. You're, you're doing, you're the hands and feet of Jesus and the, literally the hands and feet, making, yeah. making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and, and driving now a teenager to all the functions. And oh, yeah. There'll be prom and dating. Let me remind oh, you all that gosh. stuff. So, um, so there's a, a lot ahead, and and that's where the commitment comes in. And I, I just think you guys are awesome. We're we're uh, we're excited to see what God's going to do in the life of Emily and the life of our church as we uh, partner with other other families that are going through the same thing. So let's okay. let's go. Let's do this. Let's do it. It is such an honor to get to be with you guys today. If you have your Bibles this morning, I do want to encourage you to begin to find Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. In this session, we're going to spend a little bit of time walking through that. And it's so exciting uh, to me to get to see your pastors and their commitment as a church to be so family ministry centered. And I don't mean family ministry in the sense of... Um, what often happens in the church where you just kind of create this position that ministers to different aspects of the family, but instead really pushes discipleship back to the home. And I think it's that ancient path that we miss. And as Cody read just a few moments ago from Deuteronomy chapter 6, really this, this thing called the Shema, which is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then it goes through what he just read and what's called this this really statement of faith for the Hebrew people. If we were Jewish Orthodox people, we would have woken up in the morning and the first thing we would have said together is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I command you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them to your children. And then it gives these specific ways that we would impress those things to the next generation. I think so much of the reality of where our nation is today is because somewhere along the way, and it's not anybody's fault, but the church exited and kind of created prof professional positions and said, why don't you just bring your kids here and we have children's ministry that will raise them up. And we have student ministry that will raise them up. And what happens is when they go to school, they're all of a sudden inundated with all of these other viewpoints, all of these other things, and even some of the greatest involved or the most involved kids in student ministries and kids' ministries begin to walk away. And why is that? Because it was never integrated in the home. They never saw mom and dad open the word of God with them. They never saw the, that integration of the decisions that they're making or, or just heard about dating a moment ago. And I have a 17 and 15-year-old daughters, and so that scares the living daylights out of me every time that phrase comes up. But, but to think about, as you start dating that weird thing called boys, like you, you got to know what you begin to look for. And what, is, what does that even begin to look like? Well, the Word of God speaks to that. Right? How do, we, how do we walk the journey of deciding where to go to school and say, well, instead of asking the question of our kids, well, where, where are you going to fit? What feels right? Where do you want to go? Maybe ask the question, hey, what's God going to do with your life and where is he leading you? And it all, all of a sudden begins to shift the home that we become integrated around faith. So I'm, I'm, I'm ranting a little bit. None of this was planned of what I'm just saying. But I just get excited to see as your pastors lead in such a way to equip you as parents. And by the way grandparents 
to be the primary faith trainers of the next generation. Whether or not you live that at home in your home growing up with your kids, your grandkids will look to you. And when you begin to walk into that awkward moment, when you gather around Thanksgiving or Christmas and say, maybe we've never done this before, but we're going to sit down and read the scriptures together. And as grandpa and grandma, we're going to lead out in that. It begins to have a formative effect on your grandkids. And so just owning that from that perspective. So that's exciting to me. You know, oftentimes we think about family and this family or yeah, family summit um, that we're having this morning and, and you think about kids because that's what naturally always seems to come to mind is kids because they take the oxygen out of the room, right? And they do. And I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way. It's just that you know in your marriage and your relationships, you remember you're living through that now or you might be living through that in the future. They just take the oxygen out of the room. And so sometimes it's good to get away from our children. Thank you. I appreciate that, Cody. Y'all are like, what is he saying? Sometimes that's really good to get away, to think differently because there are some other relationships, two critical ones that will make a world of difference in what kind of parents we are, how good of parents we are. My wife and I, we've been married 22 years. We are coming up on that anniversary soon and, and it's kind of that halfway point. So I turned 44 also. So it's like we're kind of walking through this. We've now been married half of our lives together. So we have three kids, uh, Josie, who is 17. She just turned 17 yesterday. Uh, Joy, who is about to be 15. And we have our son, Joel, who's 12, and he turns 13 in October. And they are an incredible blessing. But living with almost three teenagers in our home just creates all kinds of craziness, right? And we realized this the other day. My wife and I are taking a trip in July. And... Um, she has not, since our 17-year-old was born, left our kids for more than one week at a time. And that happened only once in the last 17 years. And so we are celebrating leaving our children. It is so exciting to us. We are, we're going, our church does an, a trip to Israel every year that I get to lead um, in this fun and unique way. And so this is the first time she's ever come with me. And so she is coming and we are literally leaving the country and we haven't booked our return flight yet. So we'll... <laughs> We'll see how that happens. No, but, but understanding this morning, we're going to leave the thought of our kids for just a moment. And really in this session, we're going to spend some time looking at marriage. Looking at this critical relationship that God has designed from the beginning. Right, this complementarian relationship that we would love each other in such a way that it would matter not only in our own lives and the joy we get to experience, but also for that next generation. And so... The passage we're going to look at this morning, you may think about, I've never really read this in light of marriage. And I think sometimes we kind of pigeonhole ourselves in the scriptures when it specifically says marriage. And so we're going to deal with that in just a moment because this is a great passage for our marriage. But I'd love for us to think of it in this way. All of our marriages and the relationship in our home, and let me, let me say this real quick. Some of you aren't married yet and you're like, does this even apply to me? Well, if you're on the, maybe the younger end of that or at some point in the journey, you're probably going to get there. So it's probably a good idea just to listen and kind of absorb it that way. For the others of you, you're saying, listen, we've been married 40 years. Praise God for that. We still have growth in our marriage that God wants to do. And here's another thing. If you have an amazing marriage, maybe hear it this way. There are younger families around you who need your investment in them. And so hearing through, you know what, maybe I need to be that kind of mentor to somebody else that's going to make a difference in them. So going back, we all produce this kind of atmosphere in our homes. 
by the way we live our lives. I'm sorry, I'm a mover, so I'm going to try to stay on this thing instead of walking too much around. But um, we all produce this atmosphere in our homes. And, and maybe if I put it this way, we can kind of under, understand it in this illustration. Um, if you ever have shopped for a home, all right, maybe you walked in and you bought, you moved to a new area about five years ago. My wife and I moved from the Houston area up to the Dallas area in Texas. And so um, we were looking for houses. There wasn't really anything that was going to be ready enough that was new. My wife always enjoys a new house. Like, who doesn't, right, to walk in? You're the first people that have stepped foot on the carpet and all that. Uh, but so we're looking at homes that are previously owned homes. And so we begin to, to look at all of these different houses. And if you've ever shopped for a house before, maybe you've had this experience where the more that you see, you kind of categorize these things. And really, there are kind of three categories. One is a family that says, we're going to sell our home, but we're not going to do anything to get ready for it. Right? And so you walk into that house and you're like, oh, well, that odor's different. Right? I haven't smelled that quite before. We literally walked into a house and they were raising baby ducklings in the bathtub upstairs. And all of the smell that came with that. Right? And so... So we walk in and we're like, no, this probably isn't the one for us. It was dirty, all of those things. They just said, hey, we're going to see if somebody wants it. We'll just put it up on the market. Some of our marriages are that way. They're messy. They're dirty. And pretty much everyone around us knows it. There's an odor that comes from our marriages, if I can put it that way. And friends, that matters deeply to the generations that are being raised in that home. There's a second kind, though, and this, is, this one's even a little bit worse, I think. In this kind of home, you walk into and everything looks really good. It looks like everything's been well taken care of. They've, the lines are vacuumed in the carpet, you know, almost like a professional came in. It's been staged. Everything looks good. But, and so you begin to move forward in the process, and then you get the inspector involved. And all of a sudden, there's this rap sheet of things that are wrong with the house because they've basically just put this veneer that looks good over everything that's wrong. And some of us in our marriage are there where some of the people that would look at us, if not everyone that would look at us and say, they've got to have a great marriage, but there's termites inside the walls. There are major systems in the home that are about to fail because as good as we may look, and friends in the church, we're so good at putting the good face on, right? We could have had the worst argument in the minivan coming over, but as soon as those doors slide open, it's like, hey, it's good to meet you. Great to see you. We're all happy. Everything's good. And we do that in our marriage. And then there's a third kind of house. And the third kind of house, most everything's in pretty good order. You can tell there's been some repairs along the way because life's been lived in it. It's not perfect. But it's working and it's good and there's honesty and, and that's the kind of house you want to live in. Again, it's not perfect, but it's cared for, it's loved. And so today when we look at this passage of scripture that we would move toward that atmosphere, but it takes us looking honestly where we are. So the title of the message today is this, what flags are you flying? And here's what I mean by that. You guys... I did not realize this actually in planning this, but y'all are, what, 15, 20 minutes from Talladega? So you've heard of NASCAR. Right, there's some, some context here with that. Well, when I was growing up, I lived, uh, my dad was in oil, so we moved around a lot. So I lived for four years in Southern California, and we used to go to this uh, place called Saugus Speedway. And it's not 
Talladega, right? It's a little bit as a smaller, smaller, smaller frame than that, smaller scale than that. Uh, but I remember going there as a kid and loving to watch the races. And as you watch the races go around these tracks, and they had like the, the crash derbies, like that's the kind of racetrack this was, right? And they had like the figure eight things where as a kid, you're like, I hope they hit each other real hard. Um, yeah, so this is the kind of racetrack. But then they get to the real races, and so it looks more like a normal race. And, and what flag, do you all know what color of flag they use to start the race? Anybody know? Green, right? It's a green flag. And so they use the green, they're kind of, they take the loop around the, uh, the car that's leading out that ends up getting sold for a lot of money, goes off the track, and then the rest of them, they begin the race. And as long as everything's good, there's kind of this implied green flag. So as they keep going around the track, it's green, it's good. And then if something happens on the track, maybe there's, there's an accident or there's some debris or something, they'll often go to a yellow flag, right? And yellow means you can't pass each other anymore, the race is off, you can still go on the track, but you've got to be careful. And thinking about that in times maybe of our marriage, green is things are good. You're dealing with things well. Life happens, it comes up, but you're going around the track. Yellow is all of a sudden there's something there, and we need to deal with that. And if we don't deal with that, it could cause some problems. But then there's red, and the red flag means the race stops. And it means the race stops because there's something so drastic on the track that if you keep going, and you maybe can for just a little bit, but when you hit that, it's going to be incredibly destructive. And so what I'd love for you to do this morning is we're going to read through this passage and begin to walk through this. Is if you're taking notes, or maybe mentally, but I encourage you even just to take notes, we're going to walk through the fruit of the Spirit. We'll read it in just a moment. That you would write down green, yellow, or red as you would evaluate your own marriage. And here's my encouragement, last thing, and then we'll read through this passage. If you pulled out your phone right now and you turn that little camera button on, you know, automatically the camera is the one that shoots out, right? Because typically you're taking a picture out there. It's the same in our lives when we begin to look at our marriage. We always look out first. And here's my encouragement, take a little bit of effort hit that little camera button that then faces the one back towards you and evaluate where am I causing some yellow and red flags in what we're about to see. So with that in mind, would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word if you're physically able to do so? We're gonna read Galatians 5 verses 22 uh, to 26 this morning. Here's what the word of the Lord says. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Father, would you speak to us through these words this morning? And by the power of your spirit, would you shape us in our marriages to look more like Jesus and that our homes would be filled with the joy and peace that you provide through you. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat.
You may have never thought of Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. If you've been around the church any length of time, you've probably heard this passage preached, referenced, whatever that is. Really, this is just as much about marriage as anything else is because it is about our relationships with one another and the fruit that comes from our relationships with one another when we're walking with Jesus. And we have to start there because really we would have to back up and just for the sake of time we didn't read all this uh, to understand the context of what Paul is talking about when he's writing to these churches in Galatia. And so I want to back up to chapter 5 verse 1 and he makes this incredible statement. He says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom Christ has set us free. See, a godly, a godly marriage requires faithfully following Jesus. A godly marriage requires faithfully following Jesus. And one of the first things we see is Jesus has set us free. Now, we might think for a moment that means, you know what, great, I am free to hunt every weekend after November 1st. <laughs> That's right, I am free to spend my Saturdays doing exactly what I want to do. I am free to be present in this situation or not. I am free to watch as many Alabama or Auburn football games that I want to watch. And yet that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. There's a freedom that comes in Christ. But I want us to understand that because it matters so, so much to our marriages. Earlier in this book, Paul says this in Galatians 2.20. This famous verse, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, when Paul speaks of the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, he's speaking of it in light of what Christ has done in our lives. For us to even begin to have a marriage that is filled with the joy and the peace and the love that God has for it, it has to begin with this place of recognizing you've been set free from the sin that causes such destruction and devastation in your life and in your marriage. That anger often in men, you've been set free from that. The pride, it gets us in trouble every time. The tongue that just is loose and slams our spouse, you've been set free from all those things. And to realize that once you become a follower of Jesus, because what he did, what Jesus accomplished for us is he went to the cross and he shed his blood upon that cross, which means in that moment, he paid for your sins. And when you receive him, as the scripture just said in Galatians 2.20, by faith, because of the way he loved you and died for you upon the cross, what happens is, is not only did he take your sins by his shed blood on the cross, but then he gives you what the scripture calls this imputed righteousness, which means his righteousness, not because you did anything to deserve it, not because I earned it in any way, but he gives that to me and in that the strength to walk in righteousness. That when I'm living with him, I don't have to fall into the same traps that destroy my marriage time after time after time. Because I've been set free from that. 
Here's what he means even further with set free. Right after, if we read that in Galatians 5, 1, verse 13 says this, for you were called the freedom brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let me read that in context of marriage. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve your spouse. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your spouse as yourself. But if you bite and devour your spouse, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. See, it's fruit of the spirit that we're about to read has deep implications in our marriage. That we have freedom to serve and to love one another. And so what do we do with this freedom? How do we begin to serve each other with that? Well, there's some amazing kind of flourishing that takes place in our lives when we begin to walk with the Spirit of God. And I read a couple of those. We read through those in verse 25 a moment ago. But just there's four places right in this passage. In 5.16, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. In 5.18, he says, you are led by the Spirit. In 5.25, he says, live by the Spirit. And then again in 5.25, we read that, keep in step with the Spirit. That means for my marriage to flourish, it starts with my relationship with Jesus and what he's accomplished on the cross for me. And then it continues as I walk with him. That's where God has to start. And then as we're walking with him, this fruit begins to happen in our lives and in our marriages. And so now, let's spend a little bit of time this morning inspecting fruit. Going back to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. The very first one he gives is love. And we have to admit, in our culture, we don't get love. Right? I mean, because I can literally look at my wife and say, sweetheart, I love you. And then I can walk into the kitchen and I can say, I love coffee. And I hope I don't mean the same love. Right? I, I love when football season comes around. Or I love to gather with the church. Very different loves. And so we confuse this in our culture. And, and you look around, I mean, just play any love song station on the radio or on your iTunes or whatever it is, the Apple music that you have coming across there. That, and we misunderstand love. And in the scriptures, really, there's four kinds of love. We're not going to go into all of them, but just understanding the different kinds of love. There's this one that's a, the Greek word for it is storge. And this is kind of an affection love that you just, you have this affection for one another. And the scripture talks about that from time to time. Then there's this philos love, which is a friendship love. And that's where there's this deep friendship that develops and, and plays into that. And that actually in our culture, C.S. Lewis argues, is one of the loves we miss most often is this deep friendship that leads one another towards Christ. Then there's this love called eros love. And eros love is uh, it's intimate love that is reserved for the confines of marriage. And then you get to agape love. And agape love, when you read that in the scriptures, that's the kind of love that's best described in this way. How do we understand it? It is sacrificial it's the love that Jesus demonstrated for us. We see it in several places in the text. 
Colossians 3, 14, and above all these things put on love, that agape, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Romans 5, 8, but God showed his love, his agape for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you've heard this phrase before, or this passage as it relates to marriage, I would imagine Ephesians 5, 25, husbands agape, love your wives as Christ agape loved the church and gave himself up for her. It is this sacrificial love. So let me ask you this. Is there a sacrifice in the love that you have for one another in your home? I don't wonder, let me put it this way, it would be easy to say for most, especially men, and you say, hey, if there's bullets flying, would you take a bullet for your wife and shield her? Absolutely. But you know what's a lot harder? The day-to-day sacrifice. The sacrifice when we literally have to deny ourselves and we're exhausted and tired. The sacrifice when our spouse doesn't even understand the kind of day we've had or the situation that we've had and now they're asking us to do more. That's the kind of a sacrificial love that it speaks of a sacrifice. Yes, in the big things, but often it's a lot harder in the small things because what we have to do is begin to limit our own privileges and rights for the sake of our spouse. That's the love when we're walking with Jesus that is the fruit that we should see in our marriage. It grows through sacrifice. What kills that love? Selfishness and self-centeredness. Selfishness and self-centeredness. It kills what is that sacrificial love. And so let me just ask you as you're maybe writing these down or thinking through it. Green light or green flag, yellow flag or red flag. Is there love, sacrificial love in your marriage and in your home? The fruit of the Spirit is not only love, but the scripture goes on. It says the next thing, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And so how do we begin to understand what joy looks like? Well, well, joy often erupts in our marriage in happiness. And I mean that. It's like this volcano eruption, right? Sometimes we talk about, well, joy is not happiness because you know, joy is much more deep-seated than that, and it absolutely is. There's a joy that we can have that doesn't always happen or doesn't always erupt, if you will, in happiness. But if you're, you're, not, if you're not experiencing happiness in your home, then that, that's a flag, right? If there's not a regular display of just joy and laughter and happiness that happens because it comes out in that expression, that emotion of happiness. But there's also another word to understand joy, and it's this word delight, And let me just ask you this, and and men, sometimes we kind of cringe in our seat when you hear this, but do you delight in your spouse? Do you ever have those moments, and sometimes it's just in the mundane of life, when you look across the room and you think, you know, I'm so thankful for the way God's made him. I'm so thankful for the giftings that they have. Have you ever thought about this? Those very personality traits that sometimes cause the arguments in your home also create such balance joy in your home when we learn to appreciate the way our spouse thinks, which is so different than us? Do you delight in each other? And again, sometimes for men, that's a strange word because we don't think about it that way. My wife one time looked at me and um, as I mentioned, we have two girls first and then a boy. 
And if you're a dad of both, then you probably had this experience where like the girls are like your princesses, right? They just are. And, and yes, there's discipline and all those things, but there's just this smile. And then the son is like the lawnmower. Right, and so, and so I like treated him and I was harder on him and I would, and my wife looked at me one day and she goes, do you ever just delight in Joel? And it broke me because I realized I delighted in my girls, but for some reason something had to switch in my head where I just looked at him and I realized God had made this amazing young man and I don't want to miss these years trying to shape him into something and not delight in him along the way. And with our wives with our husbands, because guys, you know how to delight in something. You know how to delight in your son or your daughter when they do really well in sports. You know how to delight in that bass that you pulled out of the lake and you took so many selfies with, right? And you hold it out here so it looks a lot bigger than if you were to hold it right next to you. You understand, right? You know how to delight in Alabama football. You know how to delight. Delight in our spouses. So what grows that joy? What grows joy is contentment. Contentment. Choosing to find contentment right where God's put you. Right with the salary that he's given you. Right with the things that you have. Right with the kids that you have. Right with the neighborhood that you're in or on the land that you live on. Whatever that looks like, contentment. And the second thing that grows joy is thankfulness to live thankful. What kills it? Kind of the converse, thanklessness, complaining, and prayerlessness. They kill joy. There's this obscure and incredible passage, Nehemiah chapter eight, when, and I don't have time to get into all the history of it, but essentially all the people are gathered. And it's the first time in a long time they have heard the word of God read. And they're reading this and all the people, like it is this solemn assembly and they begin mourning and weeping. And the priests begin to walk out there and go, no, 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 no. Today is not a day for mourning and weeping. Today is a day for joy. And it's where we get this passage of scriptures that says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And to think about that in our marriages, that whatever we walk through, when it is founded upon the joy of the Lord, you are strong because he is your strength. Love, joy. Next is peace. I love this word, and actually I love the Hebrew word for it. It's this word shalom for peace, and, and literally peace and understanding what that means. It's not the absence of conflict. But it's the peace that Jesus brings often in the middle of it. Sometimes we're so desperate to find peace. And what we mean by that is the absence of conflict. And sometimes we can live in our marriages in such a way that as long as we're not fighting, we're okay. And the person on the other end of that marriage is starving for your attention and love. And sometimes starving just to have a fight because you're looking at them. So, peace is because of what Christ is doing in your marriage. And it's not the absence of conflict, it's the peace in the middle of it. There's a wholeness even attached to the word and kind of this harmony of our bodies. And you probably can see this most clearly when someone who isn't at peace, and even if you're sitting down to have coffee with them as much as they try to pretend to be, you can see it in their voice, you can see it in their body. 
Sometimes our bodies, even with stress, begin to react in certain ways with illness and all of those kinds of things. We're designed to have this peace that God provides. So what grows that peace in our marriage? Prayer. You're going to see here some of these repeat. Thanksgiving and laying our anxieties down. Listen to this passage, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Right, except those things that you want to be anxious. Oh, no, it doesn't say that. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's a constant battle of laying those things down. Because if you're like me and my wife in our home Anxiety continues to rise, right? Like I said, almost three teenagers. It's just constant. And so we have to keep laying those things down. What kills peace? Holding on to anxiety. And I want to throw this one out. What else kills peace? Walking on eggshells. Let me just say this for a minute. Some of us, for whatever reason, maybe we were raised this way in this kind of home, but we revel in the fact that we have our families walking on eggshells around us. Because it gives some weird sort of authority and control. And if you're that type of person, you're killing the ones that you love. We're not designed to walk on eggshells with one another, wondering what dad or what mom am I going to get today? Right? There's a peace that we can have in our hearts that transforms us because of the peace of Christ and transforms our home. Don't let your kids leave your home thinking that's what home should look like. You never know what you're going to get from mom or from dad. How's your marriage and your home with the flag of peace? The next one, the scripture says, the fruit of the spirit is patience. This is a lovely one, right? We enjoy patience so much. Um, how do we understand patience? It's long-suffering. Ephesians 4, 2 kind of wraps three things together, humility, gentleness, and patience. And we'll get to gentleness in just a moment. But what grows patience? Prayerfulness, depending on Jesus really to grow this in you. And then there's also this piece of perspective that grows patience, right? So the perspective of this is a long game, your marriage is the long game. It's not meant to be everything's perfect right now, but you kind of look at that person across from you and say, I'm going to allow out of the, the incredible kind gracious of my, of my heart for you to mess up from time to time. Let's say it this way. If you're with your spouse, I'd love for you to, to look at them in just a moment. We're going to say two statements, right? I would love for you just to look at them and say, first of all, I am a sinner. Not talking about me, but talking about you. I am a sinner. Don't get me wrong. But I'd love for you just to look at your spouse, and I'm going to count to three, and we're all going to say that at the same time, right? If you don't have a spouse with you, just kind of look at me, and you can say it, because it's true for you too. Okay, so look at each other for just a moment. I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. I am a sinner. Okay, now here's the second one, and this one's, this one's really fun to get to say. Now look at each other again, and you're going to say this. I am going to require patience. And the other one probably said, yes, I know. 
right? I totally understand that. You require lots of patience. But sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. Because you know what kills patience? Unmet expectations that we never communicate. And we build up our spouse in their minds thinking, you should know these things, you should do these things. And then what happens, and this is the second thing, is we begin to keep a list of wrongs. Right? And we never would show it to them. Because we know we're not supposed to. But in our heads, there's this list that's going, and you can tell you've built it when you say this, you always do this. You never do this, right? Friends, we're sinners, and we're going to need to practice patience with one another. So just in your mind, just tear up the list. It's not worth holding on to. Because if I remember correctly, there is a Savior who tore up that list for you. And so we can do that for one another and love each other in that way. Here's one more piece with patience, and this is advice that an older couple gave my wife and I when our kids started getting older that has been incredibly helpful for us. It was simply this, don't ride the roller coaster. Here's what I mean by that. Your kids, as well as your spouse, are going to have times where they jump on the emotional roller coaster, and they're doing this. Guys do it. Ladies do it. Our kids especially do it. Right, And there, there needs to be this check in our minds and hearts that says, oh yeah, I don't have to jump on that roller coaster. Right, when, when one of you comes home from work and says, it's been an awful day, I hate my job, I hate this, I hate this, and you're like, yeah let's, yeah, let's go slash the tires on your boss's car, right? We know where he lives. No, you don't want to get on. You need to be the calming influence in that moment. And by the way, with kids, so much so when that teenage moment happens and and I've got one of our kids, we, we, my wife and I do at this point, where literally it could be 30 seconds apart and she's like, everything is amazing too. I hate everyone and everything. And you're like, wow, that was a steep drop. I hope she got a lot of screaming on the way out, right, as she's going down. And then she'll come back up. But don't get on the roller coaster. Instead, exercise patience. Is your marriage and your home filled with patience? And then we get to kindness. I'm going to speed up here. I just realized my time. So um, we're going to speed up a little bit. But understanding kindness, and this is that gentleness, this is graciousness toward another person. There's a pastor who I love to listen to from years ago. His name is Tommy Nelson. He pastors a church in, in Denton, which is near the Dallas area. And, and he was talking to about marriage, and um, he was counseling with a couple one time in his office. And, and so sitting across from this husband and wife, and the wife literally looked at him and she said, I wish my husband was as kind to me as he is to a Denny's waitress. I wish he was as kind to me as he is to a Denny's waitress. That was what she was reaching for in her marriage at that point. Friends, kindness, this love, this grace that we show one another. And let me just put it this way, and, and typically this is men, sometimes it's ladies, it's time to deal with the anger issue in your home if you have one. And again, whether you saw that modeled or whether that just became a way that you had a habit, it's time to deal with it. It's time to lay it down. It's time to realize that does not produce righteousness in your home. I had to lay that down in my story. I can remember one time I was shopping for um, a birthday gift for my wife and I had taken my girls. They were at this time five and three. 
five and three years old, they're with me. And by the way, that's a real good idea to take your five and three year old shopping. And so we're walking through this, we were in this Eddie Bauer store and I was trying to look for something for my wife and they're running around and doing their thing that five and three year old girls do, right, when you're out. And so finally I got so mad and I remember taking them to the corner of the store kind of trying, because I knew the right thing, you're not supposed to, you know, punish them in public or, or get on to them in public or whatever it is. So I take them to the corner of the room and I just lay into them for probably one or two solid minutes and I ended it with this, you're acting like children. And my five-year-old looks at me and she, she goes, Daddy, we are children. <laughs> and I almost broke down in the store because I realized the issue wasn't them. I had let anger take a hold in my heart. And I was allowing it to come out in the life of my kids that they didn't deserve. It's time to deal with our anger. And you're going to need help. We'll talk about that a little bit in just a moment. What kills kindness, or I'm sorry, what grows kindness, remembering the kindness shown to you by Christ and putting to death abusive leadership in your home. It's what anger is. What kills it, selfishness and pride and insecurity and addiction and sin. Addiction and sin will kill kindness in your home. Next, we get to goodness. Understanding goodness, really, this is moral excellence. What I mean by that is like you're above the average in response, right? You're the yogi bear of marriage couples. You're more than the average bear. You're, you're doing good as a married couple. But nobody gets yogi bear anymore. I just realized that will, yeah, or maybe it's a few of you did, right? But but you do good together as a married couple, not only to one another, but to others. So what grows this in your life? Serving together and choosing to live generously. Serving together and choosing to live generously. What kills goodness in your marriage? Holding tightly to what you have, selfishness. And here's the other one. What kills goodness is busyness. If you've bought the cultural lie that your family should be going every night of the week that they should be playing every youth sport because if they just sign up for that next competitive league, they're going to make it pro. I promise. No, they're not. They're not that good. And I love you as I say that. They're just not that good. But that coach will love to take $5,000 from you and tell you that they are. Okay. We can go down that road. We won't. Goodness. Is your marriage and home filled with goodness? Faithfulness, understanding faithfulness, this is fidelity or trustfulness in all circumstances. It means you never have to worry about where your wife or husband is going to be when you check Life 360 on your phone. You never have to worry about it. It's physical faithfulness and marital intimacy. It's mental faithfulness. Your thoughts, it's verbal faithfulness. Here's what I mean by that. There's a flirting into that that's off limits. And then there's also a slamming your spouse with your friends that's off limits. A verbal faithfulness, that fidelity in all things, a faithfulness. So what grows that? Good communication, godly friends. And I love this. Here's this word delight again. Delighting in your vows. Remember those? From time to time, go through those again. How are you doing? Delighting in your vows. What kills faithfulness? Subtle compromises. 
I'll just say this, unfaithfulness usually starts very subtly. And it's one simple compromise after another, after another, after another. Pride and bitterness and poor influences kill faithfulness. Hang with me, we got two more. Understanding gentleness. The next one, the fruit of the spirit of gentleness. This is humility, kindness, and patience. It's learning to lead gently and follow gently, to respond gently in difficult situations. Proverbs 51 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I love this one, Proverbs 12, 18. It says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. What grows gentleness? Responding well. And personal peace. What kills it? Stress and anxiety and exasperating your spouse. Kills gentleness. The last one is self-control. What is self-control? Really, it's practicing these habits of restraint. And it pertains to so many areas of our lives. It could be temperance, if you will, in so many different things. The challenges we have there are are self-control in money, self-control in food, self-control in entertainment and on all of the things that we like, self-control in things like fantasy football. That one was causing a wedge in my marriage several years ago because I'm kind of the guy that goes all in. And so it was like, we're doing research. I'm, you know, sitting on the couch and we're having a date or whatnot. And I'm, I'm, you know, adjusting my team because you have to, right, for the next week or else you're going to lose. And, and my wife looked at me and she was like, I can't stand watching all these games anymore. And finally the Lord was like, yeah, you just need to stop doing this because it has no eternal value whatsoever. And I was like, oh. So yeah, we got to stop that self-control. What grows it? True accountability and perspective to see the long-term and what really matters. What kills self-control? To borrow from Jim Collins, a writer, when good becomes the enemy of great. There's nothing wrong with fantasy football until it becomes the enemy of what's great in your life. Good kills the enemy of great. What else kills self-control is selfishness. I want to say this here, and maybe it'll be an encouragement to you when we think about self-control. Also, when we think about faithfulness of presence in our marriage. If you were to take out your phone right now, and I'll pick on ladies for a moment because I pick on guys usually, and you were to go to that settings button and click on screen time, would your daily time that you spend on the phone be more than the daily time you spend with your husband? Just a question to think about when we think about self-control. Are our kids getting that habit because they're watching us? So what do I do if I recognize some flag colors that I don't want in my marriage. Colossians 1.29 says this, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Remember those phrases, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. It is this toil, this work that we have with all of Christ's energy in us. And so how does that even begin then? Do we, we recognize, one, it's the, the energy of Jesus and us walking with him. We'll talk about more abiding in the next session. But here's what I would say to begin for you with your spouse. 
Start with an honest conversation. Step one, make a date, a literal date. It's not going to be the favorite date you've ever had, I promise. But it may be one of the most transformative. And here's how you approach the date. Step two, own your own flags. Those flags you just made, remember we looked in the mirror first, we looked in the camera looking at us. Own your own flags and say, I think I'm doing this and I'm sorry. I want you to help me not live this way anymore. And then step three, talk about the atmosphere of your home and be ready to listen for the blind spots that your spouse is going to bring up to you. The final piece of this is oftentimes, hear me say that, oftentimes we need to ask for help. Here's what help looks like. It's connection groups in your church when you get honest with one another and say, hey, do you guys see anything in our marriage? And then like every flag goes up in the room or every hand goes up in the room, right? You know, oh, we've got some blind spots we need to deal with. Your pastoral staff, I guarantee would love to sit down with you and they're gonna give you the scripture and then they're gonna know when to say, hey, you need different kind of help. We're gonna connect you with the third thing, which is biblical counselors. We're gonna begin to help you walk through a journey of reconciliation and healing in your marriage. Because friends, if you have some of those yellow and red flags, it's not only affecting your marriage, but your kids are watching. And it's shaping them for what marriage should look like. So my encouragement, my, my plea is to see on the other side that whatever your marriage looks like right now, it can be amazing. God can restore. There's a great passage in Joel chapter two, just simply God restores what the locust has eaten. What the enemy has done to this point, God can absolutely take and turn it upside down for his glory and your good. And so don't keep walking. Don't keep driving around the track. Pull over, get the help that you need and watch what God wants to do to change your marriage and the generations that come behind it. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, we know that, God, this closest relationship that you've given us other than ours with you is fraught with challenges. And it's hard to work on. So Father, would you give us courage and just as Scripture in Colossians 1 says that with all the toil and energy that we have, would we, would we strive working with the strength that you give us to change and look different so that the generations would look different in our home. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. -on -one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.